Hello, my name is Mary Ann Fazil, and I'm the manager of the Museum of the New Yano Colony. I'm here today to tell you about the Yano Colony as I see it. One of the first things Harriman and the colonists set out to do after their arrival was to rename their new town. So in early 1918, they began advertising in papers throughout the state for the station name to be changed from Staples to New Yano. Though according to those ads, they were willing to accept almost any name rather than the present one. Multiple letters were written to U.S. Congressman James Aswell followed by personal interviews with him, until finally, in June of 1919, the name was officially changed to New Yano. Colonist Walter H. Fred was installed as the first postmaster. Meanwhile, back in the colony, after everyone was housed and matters settled with the Texans, farming took precedence over all the other work, though this didn't prove to be an easy task. Due to a drought in 1918 and too much rain in 1919, there was little progress made during those first two years. Some left to find work on the outside, though many of these, including Dr. Robert K. Doc Williams and his wife, would eventually return. But all the remaining men were kept at work, doing some phase of farm work. By 1920, Nearly 500 acres had been fenced in and cultivated with corn, peanuts, sugarcane, beans, cabbage, tomatoes, eggplants and peppers, potatoes and sweet potatoes, melons, squash, pumpkins, radishes, lettuce, and all the things that go into the garden. Other natural products could be found in abundance on the colony property. Wild berry bushes furnished sweet, luscious fruit for those who would harvest them, along with hickory and other nuts, which could be stored away for the winter. Freshwater fish and wild game were abundant in the area and offered some variety in the colonists' diet, and there was grass enough to feed more cows than they'd ever have. The location soon qualified to be a U.S. demonstration farm where experimental gardening practices helped advance agriculture throughout the area. Colonist W.A. Doherty, having made a lifelong study of agriculture, horticulture, stock raising, and dairying, was put in charge. A small cannery was purchased and immediately put to use. Three meals were prepared daily in the hotel dining room and most enjoyed the communal atmosphere but the commissary was operating and those who preferred could pick up their share of food and prepare it themselves in their own homes. There was never a shortage of conversation at the colony gatherings as the cooperators themselves tended to be colorful and highly opinionated. Many of them were self-appointed socio-economic philosophers who loved to pull up a chair in front of the hotel fireplace and spout elaborate theories at anyone within earshot. Other improvements were made during the summer of 1919 
including the construction of two silos which would be filled with crushed sugar cane sweet potato and peanut vines along with other vegetation to be fed to the hogs cows and mules during the winter months though agriculture was of necessity the top priority for these early settlers a few industries were established as well the printing department put out two weekly newspapers the Vernon Parish Democrat devoted to local news and the Yano Colonist which focused on life inside the colony they also continued to print the Western Comrade for some months after arrival in Louisiana although it appears to have ceased publication around the time that Harriman left on his journey to Brazil for medical treatment the shoe shop proved to be very profitable often bringing in hundred and fifty dollars a month and for a time virtually supported the colony thanks in large part to Louis Napoleon Bonaparte Rodemeister known to his friends simply as Rody or Rode. Ole Sinegrand, whose boundless energy and confidence renewed the enthusiasm of the remaining colonists, gathered from here, there, and yonder the material and parts to put together a small sawmill. It was mostly assembled from what had been thrown aside by other mills as junk, but under Ole's management, soon began turning out lumber for the colony. Another friend of the colony, Jake Rhodes, saw the promise in the bank of first-class brick clay that he, dis he discovered on the property. He kept working at the idea until, in 1920, the first kiln of colony brick was fired. That new Yano clay not only furnished material for the bricks that built the ice plant and industrial building, as well as other important buildings inside the colony, but also served as a valuable trade good for land, blooded stock, and other needed commodities. The newly elected general manager, George Pickett, proved to be a very persuasive speaker, giving his listeners the impression of utter sincerity as he traveled around the country speaking to interested groups. He wrote the colony diary in the colonists for a number of years and played on the heartstrings of readers as well with the written as the spoken word. With an optimism that nothing could don't, he consistently brought in new members and raised money through loans and gifts to the colony, thereby making himself indispensable to the group. At the end of the first three years in Louisiana, colonists could proudly lay claim to having the largest plantation to be found in Vernon Parish at the time. The Museum of the Nuyano Colony is open Tuesday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We'd love to have you stop by and hear more about this unique bit of Louisiana history. Or you can visit our website at www.nuyanocolony.com to read a text copy of this podcast and see our list of sources for more information on the topics discussed today. I'm Mary Ann Fazil, and this has been the New Yano Colony as I see it.